If you would turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans. Today we're going to dive into this uh, subject of Israel and uh, uh, what God says about Israel and how he instructs us in our perspective uh, on Israel. And uh, uh, I'll say at the beginning here, it is a thorny topic. Okay, lots of different opinions and especially magnified by the current situation in Gaza and uh, with Israel and the, and the war that's going on. So uh, um, if you have inflamed opinions about this, uh, calm down. Okay, I'm gonna do the best I can with this thorny, multi-layered subject, uh, a, a conflict that's been going on for generations. And frankly, to jump to the point, the problem is not gonna be solved until Jesus returns, Amen. okay? Uh, so all the negotiations and all the stuff that's going on, that's fine. Human beings do the best they can with their limited resources, but uh, Jesus will solve it when he returns. Uh, in the meantime, God loves the Arab people and wants them to come to Jesus. God loves the Jewish people, wants them to come to Jesus. God loves everybody, wants people to come to Jesus, okay? Uh, and uh, that uh, should be our prayer and our cry. Uh, it says in 2 Peter that God is not willing that any should perish, okay? So wherever you fall on this, maybe your ethnic background, maybe your political background, uh, your experiences and whatever uh, uh, the case may be, uh, uh, God is working and wants to work and he would like us to uh, uh, come alongside with him with what he is, is doing. Would you stand with me, please? And uh, uh, I'm not going to read all three chapters there. Uh, thank God. Uh, but uh, uh, just a couple things to start us with, and then we have to jump back to the Old Testament to get kind of a handle on this. Okay, we should be done about 3 o'clock. Okay, Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul is commenting on the fact that the Jewish uh, uh, leadership had rejected Christ. Okay, and he's sad about that. Okay, and he was there himself at one point. Okay, uh, 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 verse three. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Jump over to chapter 11, please. Paul uses an illustration and talking about us as Gentiles uh, that were grafted into the vine, okay, because Israel rejected uh, Christ. And he uses this illustration uh, uh, like a vineyard uh, illustration. Romans 11, verse 17. If some of the branches had been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, it's referring to the Gentiles, us, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. 
You do not support the root. The root is Israel. You is us Gentiles. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Pray with me, please. Lord, uh, I ask for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to flow through me uh, now as uh, we try to uh, get a handle on your view of Israel, your view of the Arabs, the current crisis in Gaza, as well as your hand that has been upon your people, Israel, all these generations. Thank you for the covenants that you made to them. Thank you that we now, through Christ, are included in that covenant. So I ask that you would give us wisdom, give us perspective, give us understanding. Uh, Come Holy Spirit, I ask that you would flow through me now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, I want you to watch this video. It is uh, probably a familiar scene from Fiddler on the Roof. It is historically set in Russia, okay, shortly before the Russian Revolution uh, happened. And uh, 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 it's, uh, uh, I think, a good place for us to start. Movie or maybe seen the play. Um, It's actually uh, uh, based on a a book uh, by a... Uh, a Jewish man, um, Shalom Alechem is his name, yeah. And anyways, that was taken and adapted and made into that uh, Broadway uh, winning uh, musical uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And uh, uh, it's really based on actual events, okay, that happened in Russia uh, prior to the Russian Revolution. And uh, look at your outline there. We're going to have a combination of scripture here, some history, some politics, if you will. And we're going to try to weave that together and uh, really gain some understanding on God's perspective of Israel. And then we'll uh, have communion at the end of our service today. You could ask if we look at that and say, well, how did Jewish people wind up all the way uh, north, thousands of miles away in uh, Russia? Okay, look on your outline there. Uh, The first section says history, okay. In AD 70, the Jewish people had uh, been scattered all over the earth since AD 70. If you remember Jesus' prophecy in Matthew chapter 24, okay, he looked at the, uh, the temple mount and all the stones and the, uh, the temple there and said to the disciples, not one of these stones will be laid on another, okay? And roughly 40 years later, uh, in AD 70, uh, the Roman general Titus came into Jerusalem and did just that, okay? Uh, the Jewish people, the Israelis, had been, there had been revolts, there had been different skirmishes over the generations, and uh, the Romans decided, we've had enough, we're going to destroy Jerusalem. I've actually tried to read some historical accounts of that, and they are so gruesome, I, I couldn't get through them. Okay, because the Roman soldiers, uh, literally when the Jews figured out what was going on, some of them swallowed their coins and thought, if we survive this, uh, when we get away, we'll have some money, okay, in our stomachs, and and, and we'll have something to survive on. And when the Roman soldiers figured out what was happening, they literally started cutting them open uh, to get the coins 
They leveled Jerusalem because there was gold between many of the stones and they wanted to get every scrap out. And it was just a gruesome, horrifying time that Jesus uh, prophesied there. After that event, the Israelis, the Hebrews, the Jews, whatever you want to call them, literally spread all over uh, the earth, okay? Up into Europe, up into Russia, over into France and Spain, and all kinds of uh, other places. So the first blank there is the word scattered. We have this word from history, it's called diaspora, okay? It's from a Latin word, and it means to be scattered or to be dispersed. And that's exactly what happened. And since that time, the Jewish people did not have a homeland, okay? And, uh, and were scattered or were dispersed, okay? The second blank there, a little bit of history, bear with me, please. The Jews were persecuted during the Spanish Inquisition, okay? So in Spain, during that time period there, okay, uh, roughly 1,000 years, 1,200 years later, okay, uh, Jewish people were being forced to convert to Christianity. And at the threat of execution, they were told, you need to renounce your Jewish faith and become a Christian. And some were doing it just so they could survive, okay? Just a historical side note, there's some speculation about this, but Columbus, some scholars even wonder if Columbus was a Jew. They can't dig up records about what his ethnic origin is, but they believe that he hid that because he knew he would, have to, he would be killed if they found out he was Jewish. And part of the reason he came to America, they speculate, is that uh, he wanted to find a homeland for the Jews and a safe place uh, where they could be, okay? Because they were persecuted uh, in many areas uh, that uh, they went, okay? The third blank there, the Zionist movement, okay? We need to understand uh, what that is, okay? And uh, in 1896, the Zionist movement was birthed by Theodore, uh, it says Hetzel, but it's supposed to be Herzl, H-E-R-Z-L, okay? Uh, I've had the opportunity to go to Israel two times, uh, one time during seminary. Uh, I was there for a three-week study class. It was fascinating. I just learned uh, lots of things, and it was a, really a fantastic experience. A couple years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go uh, uh, to Jerusalem, and uh, we were there for 10 days. And uh, I, we were in Jerusalem one afternoon, and I was talking to a Palestinian shopkeeper. Okay, and he said, and I asked him, how do you guys get along with the Jews? And he said, we're fine. We get along fine. We work together. We live near each other. We talk, whatnot. He said, in his opinion, and I'm quoting him, he says, what becomes a problem is when Zionists move from other countries in the world and they come here and they're very adamant and strident and pushy about the Zionist movement, okay? The Zionist movement is Jews come back to Israel, have your own homeland, and whatnot. I thought that was interesting, okay, uh, coming from a Palestinian or, or an Arab uh, gentleman, okay, he said, we're fine. Okay, and for many generations before uh, 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 the, uh, shall I say, modern state of Israel, uh, Hebrews, Jews, uh, Christians, and Arabs all got along fine according to many historical accounts. There was not a problem, okay? But Jews were pushing for that homeland, okay? And they finally got it, as we'll see in a moment, okay? And ever since then, there's been lots of uh, 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 fighting and, and whatnot, okay? 1917, okay? You'll see just prior to the Rev Russian Revolution was the setting for the Fiddler on the Roof, okay? 
So you'll notice there, I wrote World War I, so you can put this in your uh, uh, historical timeline, if you will, historical timeline, World War I, 1914 to 1918. In the middle of that, okay, the Russian Revolution happened, okay, the czars were in control of Russia for, for many, many years, okay, many generations. And, uh, 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 but there was this uprising, uh, Marxism, uh, and, and all that grew out of that, okay? But in that time, okay, the, uh, uh, many Jews were slaughtered. They called them the pogroms, okay? Jewish people were murdered, executed, and all kinds of horrible things, okay? And the fiddle on the roof is set just prior to that uprising, okay? So you can fit that in, okay? I think we're familiar with this, but so the next line, six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust of World War II, okay? From that circumstance, and even a little bit prior to that, began this movement of saying, the Jews need their homeland. They need a homeland. They need a place where they can uh, call home, where they can be safe uh, amidst all the persecution that's going on uh, uh, in many circumstances, okay? In 1947, the United Nations sanctioned uh, uh, Israel's homeland, okay? The moment that that sanction went through, okay, five Arab nations attacked Israel and a war began, okay? And those five nations, it's not on your outline, Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon, okay? So the Jews have been fighting for their very life, okay? Uh, and, it is continu and it continues uh, to uh, this uh, day. Okay, uh, look in the middle section there because we have to put this whole, I've thrown some history at you, throwing you some politics at you. It's helpful, I believe, to understand that. And frankly, I find it fascinating because God has preserved his people throughout all of this. He made a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 12. Okay, he is preserving his people, sustaining his people. And you know what? We have a Jewish Messiah. And we're grafted into those covenants as Gentiles who've accepted Christ, okay? So we are part of this, okay? And I find the history fascinating, uh, frankly, myself personally. One thing I want to throw at you, it's not on your outline, but never in the history of civilization has a, a people group been scattered and dispersed and in many cases slaughtered, okay? and been able to come back together again with their language, with their national entity, okay, and come back and, and restore, shall we say, okay? And that's nothing less than the sovereign hand of God, okay? Because he loves Israel, he loves the Jewish people, okay? Uh, and we are so much connected to that if you read the Bible at all. Now, those of you that are nervous, and uh, I'm gonna say it again, lest you don't believe me, God loves the Palestinians. God loves the Arabs, okay? God loves that people group, okay? If you even look at our own missions budget here at the church, we have a large amount of our missions giving going to Muslims outreaches, okay? Okay, so lest you think we're just concerned about the Jews and not the Muslims or Arabs, uh, you're mistaken, okay? God is not willing that any should perish, okay? But that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, okay? So God loves the Palestinians, loves the Arabs, loves the Muslims, loves us, obviously loves his Jewish people. 
And I think these scriptures help us to see a little broader perspective on the redemptive purposes of God, lest we get caught up in some of the current political uh, foment uh, that, that is going on. Okay, I hope you have your Bible in your lap. Okay, I've listed that next section. I've just called it five names. Okay. And those five names are Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, Jacob, and Moses. We cannot understand the Bible unless we know who these five people are, okay? They're just central to the Jewish faith. And again, we are grafted into the vine. So they're central to our faith too. Because in all these cases, it is the infinite sovereign God intervening into time and space and revealing himself in revealing his redemptive purposes. God just didn't create the world and disappear on a couch somewhere and say, hey, have a good time, you're on your own. He's close, he intervenes, he reveals himself. He did it all throughout the Old Testament with the Jewish people, he did it in Jesus, he's doing it today by his Holy Spirit and through this book, okay? So you need to understand that and to see that. But turn to Genesis chapter 12, Okay, and let's, uh, um, each one of these characters, we could preach on them for three months, and we can't do that today because of time constraints, but let me just touch and give a thumbnail sketch of each of these characters so we can understand uh, Israel and what God thinks of them. Okay, in that first blank there, Abraham was the recipient of a covenant with God. What is a covenant, okay? A covenant is an agreement, okay, that God makes and initiates with people, okay? We have a new covenant that is sealed by the blood of Jesus, okay, that is ratified because of the cross and that we are partakers in because of faith. You put your faith in Christ, you're part of that new covenant, okay? The Jewish people had an old covenant, okay, with the Ten Commandments and all those laws, and it was an if-then agreement. If you do this, I will do this. If you do this, I will do this. That's a basic covenant that we would understand in any kind of business relationship. The interesting thing about God's covenant is he doesn't have to make a covenant, okay? He does that because he loves the people he's making the covenant with. Every step towards human beings is a move of the grace of God. So for God to say, if you will do this, follow these commandments, I will bless you in this way, that in itself is an act of the grace of God, an act of his sovereign hand, okay? So we have a covenant here that God makes with Abraham. Look at Genesis 1, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. At that time, Bible scholars believe that Abraham was somewhere near the Euphrates River, okay, uh, way to the east near Babylon, okay, and that God spoke to him and said, leave all that and go to the west, basically, towards the Mediterranean, okay, near Palestine, okay, that's where uh, he wound up. And then what he says this, verse 2, I will make you into great nation. That's referring to the Jewish people. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. Okay? You catch that? God says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to bless others. I believe we have the same command. God blesses us. 
works in us, saves us, washes away our sins. And then he says, as I bless you, you bless others. Okay, I think that applies to us too. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. That scripture I think is powerful and is a calling for us. And I believe a command for us to pray for Israel, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to pray for God's people. Okay. We pray for Muslims too, if you're getting nervous. God wants to save the Muslims. I'm gonna keep saying this because this is a solid and volatile subject. I can hardly wait for the emails this week. My family, we were in Sisters, Oregon a few weeks ago. Abby and Emily in October said, Dad, we're gonna do this, come or else. No, not really. But anyways, I knew that I, uh, if you have daughters, you know what those uh, commands are like. And you say, yes, ma'am, I'll be there. So, no, we had a wonderful time. It was terrific. Uh, one day we were walking around Sisters, Oregon, and uh, my book addiction kicked in. And I kind of marched into this bookstore, like looking for books. And anyways, it was wonderful. And Charlie and Colt were there, so it was great. But anyways, I walked in there, and I saw this book on the front counter. It said, can we talk about Israel? by a Jewish, secular Jewish man named Daniel Sokach. He lives in the Bay Area, okay? I picked up the book and read three or four pages, and this title, Can We Talk About Israel, was kind of the byline that the whole book flew under, because he said this, you can't even talk about Israel with people getting all wound up. I mean, there is such strong ingrained opinions on both sides of the aisle, if you will, politically and in all kinds of other ways, okay? And he said, this is a hard subject to talk about, okay? Uh, because people have so many strong opinions about it and that's fine. So he tries in his book, uh, my mistake was I walked out of the coffee of the bookstore uh, to do something and I came back a half hour later and the book was gone. It's like. Jeez, that's bad. Anyways, but uh, uh, very interesting perspective. Can we talk about this, okay? And he, as a secular Jew, does not know Jesus as a savior, was saying this is loaded with landmines, okay? So we're trying to see what the scripture says and see God's view on this, but I believe this is for us. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse, uh, okay? And the last part, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That is pointing to the Messiah, okay? Because Jesus is Jewish. He was Hebrew, okay? He grew up in that tradition, okay? And uh, uh, all the earth has been blessed by Jesus uh, coming uh, to the earth, okay? The next blank there, okay? Ishmael was the product of Abraham and Sarah's unbelief. Okay, jump over to chapter 16. Okay, we know that God made a promise to Abram, okay? He was called Abraham, Abram, and his name was later changed to Abraham. And he said, you're gonna have a son. Now, Abram and Sarah got near 100 years old and they were like, hey, Lord, you know, you made a promise, what's going on? This was crucial at that time because descendants basically were, were gonna keep you alive in your old age. There was no social security, there was nothing like that. And if you had no kids, okay, you were gonna die destitute and alone in this time period, okay? So God makes a promise, you're gonna have a son, okay? And uh, look in verse uh, uh, chapter uh, 15, verse two. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? 
Okay? Still no son. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood. Now we know in Genesis 16 that uh, Sarah went to Abraham and said, Hey, look, we're old. We can't have kids, okay? Uh, go sleep with my uh, servant Hagar, okay? And have a child with her, uh, and, and then we'll have a descendant, okay? And that's why I've put that phrase there. Ishmael was the product of Abraham and Sarah's unbelief, okay? Did God love Ishmael and Hagar? Of course he did, okay? But Abraham and Sarah didn't believe, okay? Did your, have your prayer requests ever been on a different timeline than God's? I can say a hearty amen to that. I've had some disputes with God and like, Lord, what in the world is going on here? Where are you? What's happening? Friends, the grace of God will sustain you through those dark times. God's answer is coming, okay? And you will find a powerful intimacy, I believe, with the Holy Spirit and the grace of God as you wait for that prayer to be answered, okay? But sometimes we take the law into our own hands, so to speak, and say, well, God's asleep, so I'll have to fix this myself. Okay, uh, don't do that, okay? God's taking care of you. Uh, the third blank there. Uh, before this, you've got to see this. In Genesis 16, okay, verse uh, uh, 11. See what this says. Okay, God is speaking to Hagar. Okay, who uh, uh, has uh, Ishmael, okay? The angel of the Lord also said to her, Hagar, you are now pregnant, you'll give birth to a son, you shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Hagar was about to die, okay? Uh, they're out in the desert, okay? Verse 12, he will be a, a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. Most Bible scholars believe that that's referring to the Arab race and the Arab people, okay? And if you're mad at me yet and acting like God doesn't like the Arabs, that's not true. But we do have a prophecy describing a people group and it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I think we can see in modern times, throughout history, many times, this tendency of hostility in the Arab people. Is there hostility in the Jewish people? Uh, you know what, folks? There's hostility in all of us when we don't get our way. I can see you didn't like that very well. Okay, we're all sinners, right? We all need Jesus. We all need to be changed. Okay, the same can be said for the Arabs, for the Jews, uh, for everything else. But that, uh, I believe, is uh, uh, the beginning there of the Arab race and, uh, uh, and Ishmael is, is in that equation there. Okay, next blank there. Isaac was the heir that God had promised. Okay, and it says 1228 there, but it should be 15.4. Okay, and look in Genesis 15 verse 4. See what it says. Okay, we already read that. Okay, that's where it's prophesied. Okay, uh, Isaac is born. Okay, uh, next blank. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Okay, so Jacob's name, farther down the line genealogically, is trained to Israel. Okay, and uh, look at Genesis 32. Some of you are starting to say, Drew, where's this going? You're kind of droning on a little bit. 
Uh, bear with me. Sorry, the coffee bar is closed. Uh, but uh, uh, Genesis 32, see what this says. Genesis 32, 28. Jacob wrestles with God, okay? And look what it says in verse 28. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome, okay? So Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob was the father of these 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? Look there on your outline, okay? Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob was the father of 12 sons, is the blank there, that became the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? And the next blank there, Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt, okay? Jump over to the book of Exodus. See what it says there. Exodus chapter 3. Okay? So many years have gone by. Moses is, Abraham is dead. Uh, uh, Isaac, Jacob, all these people have passed on, okay? Uh, we know the story of Joseph, I believe, the end of uh, the book of Genesis, okay? Uh, there's a famine. He goes in to get food for uh, Jacob and his brothers, okay? Uh, they have all passed away. And now we have this encounter with God having an encounter with Moses, Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was standing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush uh, was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Okay, this fire is the presence of the Holy Spirit coming to reveal the voice and the presence of God to Moses, gets his attention, okay? Verse five, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Okay, the presence of God was there. So it's holy ground because the presence of God is there. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Okay, you see this historical continuity going way back into the book of Genesis. Okay, then he says this. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of and you can underline my people in Egypt. That's representative of the covenant ownership of God for those Hebrew people, okay? He sees that, and then in verse nine, it says, I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, okay? So these are God's people, okay? The one that he has uh, exhibited his power and presence, opens the Red Sea, leads them out, okay? And from that, we get this picture of a lamb being sacrificed and the blood being smeared on the doorposts, okay? That death angel came in to uh, destroy the gods of Egypt, to excise punishment on them for uh, uh, what was going on with the Jews, with the Hebrews, okay? And then we get this picture of this sacrificial lamb, and we're going to remember that today in a few moments as we hold up that bread and that cup, 
because all that pointed to Jesus and the final sacrifice that he would be uh, to wash away our sins and, 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 and exhibiting himself in that redemptive act, okay? So on your outline there, okay, Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt, okay, uh, Exodus 3, verses 1 through 10. That last blank, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam cite Abraham in their spiritual heritage, now, if this doesn't confuse the waters and muddy the waters anymore, I don't know what else would. Okay? If you've got Jews who look to Abraham, you've got us as Christians who look to Abraham, and you've got the adherents of Islam looking to Abraham, wouldn't you say that that is confusing this so much that who knows what's up from down? Each one of them have an allegiance to Abraham and read about Abraham in their, in their scriptures, okay? The law in this, the, the, the line that I think is drawn in the sand is Jesus, okay? Okay, the Jews don't accept, an observant Jew does not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, okay? Islam does not recognize that Jesus is the word made flesh, okay? Christians do, okay? But that's just more to complicate uh, the things uh, in uh, this issue, uh, many years ago, I don't know how many, 20 years ago, uh, uh, Pastor John Hagee in uh, Texas, in San Antonio, Texas, started an organization called Christians United for Israel. He felt like God was prompting him to uh, start this organization to raise up financial support, prayer support uh, for Jewish people, Jewish people that wanted to go back to Israel, uh, just support for Israel in general, even to lobby in Washington, D.C. for more uh, just favorable legislation in regard uh, to Israel. He started it out with a dinner that he was going to have at his church, and it was just called Friends of Israel. And he got a letter in the mail uh, uh, shortly before that and said, if you have this dinner, you'll be dead on Friday. I don't know what you would do if you got a letter like that, but it kind of makes you look over your shoulder. And I don't know what would incite such thing except really a strong anti-Semitism, okay? Well, of course, he went ahead and had the dinner. Uh, at another point, uh, uh, along in there, uh, someone drove by his house and smashed out all the windows in his house. Okay, because of his support for Israel. Okay, now why would such an organization like that need to be raised up? This is not on your outline, but you could write this on your outline if you'd like, and you could call it replacement theology. There was many years in America and other places around the world where there was this belief that God is done with Israel. Okay. They rejected the Messiah. They've even been called Christ killers by some people uh, in the last hundred years, okay? Just this notion, the Jews killed Jesus, God's done with you. You know, really a short-sighted uh, lack of biblical information there, okay? But that belief was out there, along with just general anti-Semitism that's been on the earth uh, for a long, long time, okay? But these organizations have been raised up and, and there are many more of them now, because there is a belief, and I think it's a valid one and a good one, we need to pray for Israel, we need to pray for Jewish evangelism, we need to support Israel, okay? So John Hagee's organizations raised up and others believing this is an important thing. Replacement theology is not as big a deal now, uh, as near as I can tell, but it was 50 years ago. 
And these organizations basically rose up and said, God's not done with Israel. God still loves his people. God still has a covenant with them. Now, are their eyes blinded to the Messiah? Yes. Do they not realize who Jesus is? Yes. Okay. But God is working. And if you read anything about this, Jewish evangelistic efforts are flourishing all over the world. Okay. Jewish people are realizing, wow, maybe I should find out more about this person, Jesus, and check out who this is. But John Hagee's experienced that in his own work there uh, with Christians United for Israel. Concluding thoughts. God loves all people. I think I've said that enough. Did everybody get that? Okay. We're not saying we don't love Palestinians and Arabs and the PLO and everything else. Okay. Uh, Atrocities have been committed on both sides of this current conflict, okay? But we're still gonna pray for Israel. We're gonna pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're gonna see our own spiritual heritage in these covenants that we see in, in the book of Romans there. God loves all people, including Arabs, Muslims, and Palestinians. Number two, God promises to bless those who bless Israel, okay? And the last one there I've included, the Bible says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As I said, when my wife and I visited Jerusalem a couple, or Israel a couple years ago, and when I went there, uh, it, when I was in seminary for three weeks, it really enriched my eyes to this whole uh, discussion, okay? And really drove me to these scriptures here to understand more and in a deeper way the people of God, what God's doing there, how I personally, us personally, are indebted to this spiritual heritage that we see uh, in the Old Testament, okay? If you wanna see what uh, financial things are going on our own missions committee, two Muslim efforts, if you don't believe me, talk to Lynn Bryan, okay? And she'll tell you more about that. God's working all over the earth, but he wants us to understand this issue of Israel, Pray for Israel and know how God feels about them. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the Jewish heritage that we have spiritually. Thank you for these scriptures in the Old Testament. Thank you, Jesus. We have a Jewish Messiah whom we love. We do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the Israeli people, Jewish people, Hebrews, all around the earth who don't yet realize who Jesus is. I ask in Jesus' name that you would open their eyes to the Messiah. May they realize who Jesus is. We pray for Muslim efforts all around the world. Many of our missionaries are serving with Muslim people and they start with Abraham in a discussion and gradually point them to Christ. We pray that those efforts would be blessed. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Fill us with your grace and your peace in this generation that we live in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.